All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you everybody for joining and welcome. We have a, a full amount of content to share and to dialogue with you all on. So we wanna make sure that we uh, jump right in. So my name is Aaron Clifford. I'm the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Binary Fountain. I am dialing in from Nashville today. And um, Binary Fountain, in case you don't know, we are a customer experience platform. So we help manage your brand's reputation, the listings management. We have a, a number of digital tools that help enable your brand to connect to your customers and to your patients and provide uh, the most optimal experience. Um, so I'm excited that you all joined. I always enjoy doing these webinars and really appreciate it. Um, so, you know, you might be thinking, you know, oh, these are pretty normal times, you know, in the healthcare industry. So what do we need to really talk about? <laughs> no, that's not the case. Uh, no, this is um, a pretty, you know, all of the words that are used to describe the unprecedented, unusual, and just whoa, 2020 year uh, can be used here, right? Fill in the blank. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. We've been doing this survey, this consumer survey. We pull over a thousand individuals and we work with one poll and we've been doing this for four years and so it's interesting to see the results and maybe even see how some of the results have been painted by the events of this year. So consumer behavior as you guys know and I'm sure you're experiencing it is changing and so the survey is basically to reflect and the results of this is to reflect of what exactly is changing and maybe put some words and verbiage and um, help you all to communicate to your senior leaders and um, of initiatives that you may need to do uh, and provide some insights that might be useful in building justification for various programs and projects. So we're going to share a little bit in how patients and consumers are engaging with their health care providers and um, opportunities to improve the patient experience. Uh, so we're going to walk through the findings of our survey about how consumers are finding doctors online, uh, their main frustrations with booking appointments, where they leave reviews, and all kinds of other data nuggets that might be helpful in building your case that you all might find interesting. To offer some of this wisdom, along with the survey results, is uh, Stuart. I'm joined with Stuart, the CEO of the integrated marketing firm, Healthcare Success. Stuart, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'd love to. And thank you, Aaron. It's an honor to be here with, uh, joining you and your team to put this on today. So uh, for those of you who don't, do not know me and haven't seen me before, I'm CEO of Healthcare Success. We are, as um, uh, Aaron alluded to, a integrated agency, but I would even really refer to it as a brand performance agency. So our goal, really, most of our engagements are designed uh, beyond branding it's to deliver results. So a lot of times we're building service lines, whether for uh, multi-location practices, health systems, hospitals, uh, other kinds of healthcare entities, but usually we're driving results in some way right? Very tangible results. So um, in that work then, I work with hospital executives and uh, CEOs and doctors and patients. And so I feel like I've been doing this for over 20 years. So I feel like I've got some, you know, sort of, I guess, context I'm hoping to bring today and maybe some insights to the data to help inform what the data means. So excited to do that. Uh, before I get started, there's something I think is really important uh, to acknowledge that this data um, you know, from the big picture, before we dive into all the specifics, I think the first thing that I noted as I was going through the data is that it's aptly named, right? So it talks about the healthcare consumer versus patients. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways. And I think if you, 
as you listen to us go into the details here in a few minutes, think about how patients have really become self-directed healthcare consumers. I think that's really, really important because um, one of the things that used to be that patients were very subservient, um, you know, the, I follow the advice of my doctor or family, and that's really the end of it. Um, now patients are saying, I'm the decision maker here. Thank you very much. And you'll see that as we get into this data. So it's not just trying to talk about healthcare consumerism, it's real. And uh, for those of you that are working with your board or your executive team or leading doctors or whomever to help them understand this new mindset of it's all about healthcare consumerism. And it's something I speak to a lot. And the other thing is, as we get into this, the, the patient journey is incredibly complex and incredibly highly fragmented. So Aaron was referring to the sort of joke about you know, dealing with COVID today and the challenges there. The other little challenge you might have to really figure out what to do with is you kind of need to be everywhere. <laughs> so that's not a problem. Fortunately, you know, there are ways of doing this and Binary Fountain is a great provider. And so there's ways of helping you leverage your time because really it is an omnipresent world out there. So yeah, decided to get into the details. Well, thank you. I enjoy presenting with you, Stuart. And if you guys are looking at the slide, you know, there is a little pre-COVID hair for Stuart, <laughs> obviously not me, and uh, a post-COVID beard. So, you know, you can't always trust those profile pictures yeah. of what's reality, right? I mean, we know that from physician profiles and their pictures, but um, <laughs> it could be true of these, these <laughs> webinars. Um, but again, thank you for joining. Um, before we get in, for you, agenda folks because i know that there are uh, there's a folks that want to know what's on the agenda and what are we going to talk about so first we're going to look at how consumers are looking for doctors and what matters to them during the search process uh, then we're going to talk about the patient engagement channels and top frustrations with the online appointment booking process uh, then we'll dive into the patients where patients are leaving physician reviews and what they're saying uh, in those reviews uh, during Q&A, that's the final section, we encourage you to uh, post your questions as the webinar and as we're presenting, and we'll get to those questions. We may dive into those before if um, we, we sneak over there to the QA, the little button in Zoom, but um, please ask those questions and we'll get to those. Uh, and if we run out of time, uh, feel free to reach out and there'll be contact information there too. Uh, we'd be love to talk to you more. So let's get started with some of the major uh, four-year takeaways that we've uncovered this year. Um, so, you know, the first question that we asked, and this question has been on all four years, you know, as time goes by, we've added some other questions and, and gotten some more insight, but this one's been on there all four years, and it's what sources do you use to look for a physician? Um, no surprise here, that word of mouth with your family and friends is still at the top of the list. However, that has slowly been declining the last four years. Uh, people turning to digital and online uh, sources, you know, what I find really interesting, and this will be a little bit of a theme that I'll touch on, is that 53% said the provider or hospital website. And I know that there's been so many initiatives that you all have done in the, in the industry that has been uh, undertaken to really build the local hospital brand and maybe even a national brand. And that is really is reflective in the survey that that's paying off. The people are going to the hospital website and trusting, oh, you're a trusted source, I'm gonna go look for a provider there. Of course, and that is even above the insurance provider website. 
And they may be looking for, you know, whether or not that provider takes the insurance of the consumer, but it's still going to that hospital and provider, it's still trusted. Of course, the insurance provider, people want to know, are you on my plan or not? Um, and where do I, where can I go? Who's on, who's off? Um, and then the online search engine, of course, Google, you guys know this, I'm sure, from your analytics on your own websites, but that is still a major. And then you have social media sites and voice search. Voice search is an interesting one because we've seen a steady climb of that. And what's interesting is the efforts that you put in your online search listings and in those third-party directories definitely help the voice search as far as from an accuracy standpoint. But I think people becoming more comfortable with Siri and with Google Home and Alexa um, all of those devices, I think we're seeing reflective there. Stuart, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It's really interesting. I think that, um, first of all, as you mentioned a minute ago, like friends and family are still number one. But if you, when you, if you see the ebook that Binary Economy is putting together, it has more detail because we kept it um, big picture for the webinar today. What's astonishing is the importance of everything else has grown so much over just a few years. So it's really now neck and neck, those top five, and I will expect to see that more and more over time. So that's really the, it's, again, I mentioned earlier at the opening that this is an omnipresent world and it is. People are looking online for search engines, they're reviewing uh, rating sites and review sites. They're looking at the hospital website. Um, you know, healthcare is the ultimate high involvement purchase decision, right? Like it's not like buying special K at the grocery store or granola. That's you know, low, low risk choice, right? When you're talking about, you know, serious disease or surgery or those kinds of things, it's high involvement. So naturally people will tend to use the resources that are available to them. So as they become more and more accustomed to using these resources really for anything else, right? Online uh, for everything. Um, shopping, you know, while they're in Best Buy, they actually go online to research other options. So I think it's the trend is obvious where that's going to go. And I guess the other comment I'd make on this before we go a little deeper is that voice search is up a lot. That actually surprised me a little um, that it's that high um, because again, when you have these high involvement decisions, um, the um, uh, it's you need a lot of people want a little bit more. Um, research available. However, our search team at our agency, both on the paid and organic, or like primary care, do things like doctor near me. And so those kinds of um, searches um, do add up. And so you can see all of it's important. Sorry. Welcome to 2021. <laughs> you have to be everywhere. Right, right. Great. Thank you. Well, the next question is, you know, how many reviews uh, are needed before you uh, make a choice on the physician. And that number came in at nine. So consumer, consumers read an average of nine reviews before choosing a doctor. Which is interesting about this is back in 2010, 2011, when I started doing a lot more, my previous company with physicians, I mean, there were only a uh, majority of providers did not have reviews. And those that did had, you know, two to 10, anywhere in that, you know, they didn't have all that many. But I think as, as time and adoption has come, people getting more, uh, there's more options to share, but then also becoming more comfortable with sharing online and providing a review, those have climbed. And so it's interesting, you know, to have, you know, doing an inventory of looking, well, what are the number of reviews that our providers have on third-party sites and, and having that metric down, kind of understanding where you stand there. And then if you have a transparency uh, program and where you're listing the reviews and comments 
uh, ratings on your own site, seeing how many you have there. Um, you know, for our customers that have a transparency solution, we typically recommend not posting any reviews until there's like 30. Uh, so there's a, a wide range and variety there. But um, it's really important to do that inventory and to realize that consumers are reading these reviews. And if it's an average of nine, you want to make sure that they are healthy. And there's a, a big number. Stuart, did you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I've got a lot actually on this one. The uh, it's funny you mentioned you know years ago, and I think back when I first started our firm in 2006. And from the beginning with our agency, we really focused a lot on being online for terms like healthcare marketing and uh, anything to do with marketing and healthcare. And still have a lot of SEO built into our site. So back then, in particular, though, we were everywhere people looked. And so I got a lot of um, journalists called me right when the doctor reviews began, uh, right around that time period or a year or two later. Because um, up until then, nobody had reviewed doctors online. And doctors, in particular, just hated this idea. And, you know, I remember an orthopedic surgeon once saying, look, I've been treating patients, thousands of patients over the years. And my entire career is summed up right here by one crappy review um, by somebody who, you know, doesn't even know what I did for them. So it, they really hated it. And this was news back in the day. And uh, unfortunately, I, my comment was, you know, sorry, guys, but we're going to have to get over it because, number one, patients love reviews with anything else, and that's going to increase. And by the way, Google loves reviews. So it's funny. It took a long time. Uh, a number of years ago, I interviewed University of Utah Health on our podcast uh, back when they started putting reviews on their website. And again, I was admiring them because, like, boy, that must have been fun trying to convince the internal uh, doctors to do that. Um, but now we've come to where we are today. And so, again, while the providers have gotten better, the hospitals have gotten better at reviews, and there are uh, platforms like yours, Aaron, to make this you know, easier to scale, you can see nine reviews is a lot. And, and I find that even today with all these options out there, there's still a lot of hospitals and a lot of um, big groups that, and obviously solos that um, have not done a good job of maintaining their reviews and not done a good job of owning their reviews and doing what they can to you know, uh, create systems to get robust reviews and improve their patient experience. And let's do lots and lots of discussion on this. But I just want to illustrate that it is really important. And again, this is not going away, it's increasing. And then one final comment I want to make, there's another question in the raw data that I thought was really revealing. And I've talked about this a number of times in my podcast uh, and other, uh, on other topics, but essentially this confirmed, the question confirms something I've seen from like Kreskin and others that Two, over two-thirds of patients are checking out reviews even after they've been referred by a doctor. So think about that. That's really important. I want to say that again. Over two-thirds of people, even after they're being referred by their primary care doctor, will check out reviews and the provider websites. That's huge. So, you know, again, it used to be in the day where you know, the patient is a patient. They sort of are a ping-pong ball bouncing around the healthcare system. I mentioned earlier self-directed, and that's just, a, to me, it's a big, big takeaway uh, of this little slide here. Great insight. And there, there was one question. I just want to address this one. I saw it in the comments. What's more important, important first-party reviews or third-party reviews or both? And so what I'll, I'll say is in, in this survey, when going through it, it may be self-revealing um, just in terms of how consumers are looking and where they're looking uh, to choose a, a doctor. Um, and so I would say both right now. Uh, but I think some of that will uh, be put into place as we're answering some of the questions and looking at the survey results. So, most important factors for choosing a doctor. 
is um, insurance coverage is still number one. And this has been that way uh, for a while in our results. So it's definitely, you know, the cost of healthcare, people are looking at their deductibles and looking at how much certain providers are going to cost as an urgent care. Is it less expensive than going to a primary care um, or going to a nurse practitioner? You know, how all those things and what does my insurance cover? I think still really important aspect in choosing a doctor. Location, that convenience factor, that consumer, you know, the title of this webinar, consumer, or the consumer insights. The consumer, what's convenient for me? What is uh, going to work out? And it may be location near work, near your kid's school, your house, of course, but location is still really important. You want to make sure it's not consumers. You and I, we don't want to go somewhere that's you know way out of the way. Uh, it may inhibit our own health by not going there because it's too inconvenient. Um, and then family friends recommendations. You know what's uh, wild is you know online ratings and reviews are not too far behind that from the family and friends recommendations. In some demographics, I'd say the younger demographics, they actually trust the online reviews. Uh, more, <laughs> and as far as in, they'll take their cues from the online reviews more than they will their family or their friends. Um, but again, this hospital affiliation, and this is going to be a theme. Like I said, this is another one in that theme of that brand affiliation that your doctor has uh, with your the hospital. It matters a lot, and um, that cannot be de-emphasized. So, just want to highlight a couple of those items. Stuart, I know you have a few thoughts on this one as well. Yeah, um, starting off with what we just described, you know, the um, because Aaron and I were talking offline about the importance of the hospital affiliation, which translates really into their brand, right? How important is that brand? And um, you know, again, I've had lots of discussions on this on podcast webinars in the past, but um, the you know, hospital brands are uh, number one don't change very easily. The, you know, a lot of times the hospital is part of the community and it's part of the fabric and hospitals have reputations. So it's not going to change without you really having a uh, concerted branding effort to build that brand. And one of the things I think about at this stage is, um, as we think about that particular issue, we work, one of our clients, longest clients, working for years, love them, are kind of a safety net hospital, 500 beds-ish, and they serve a lot of Medicaid. And we've worked with them on a very tactical basis over the years. And the um, because they're really focused on service lines, and right now we're working with them, and um, it's really time for rebrand, and hopefully they'll take advantage of that because it's kind of like by improving a brand of a hospital can rise, you know, the tide that rises all ships. So yes, you can do all these individual service line marketing efforts, but the brand is really important. You can see how important that is. I can think of another hospital we work with that uh, doesn't have a stellar reputation, and actually hurts the results in the hospital name is mentioned. So it's a big impact. Don't underestimate that. Another couple of things to think about. Um, the insurance uh, coverage, as Aaron said, is always critical. And my point there is, is that for many, many people, um, it's kind of a binary option. The, the search begins, everybody, if you imagine two universes, universe one is within my coverage, uh, universe two is not. Everybody, it's really kind of bizarre. I'm sitting here playing with my insurance card for some reason while I'm talking about this. It's a coincidence. But the, um, uh, most people won't even consider somebody outside of their insurance. So what that means then, though, rather, you have to be very cognizant of uh, the consumer experience and then go to your hospital website or your practice website. Make it easy for them to find that. You know, for many of our clients, not all of our clients, uh, we do this, but for a lot of them, 
We want to make sure that insurance coverage is right there where people want to see it. And there's a, that's a strategic decision I made about it. Make it easy for them. Number two, location, likewise. Really, really, really important. And so, you know, it's again, the, the doctors in the hospital may be thinking about it's my board certification, my fellowship training, my time at Yale or whatever, and like insurance coverage and location at the beginning of the discussion. Now, I'm not diminishing the importance of that other stuff. I'm just saying it's kind of like they do their easy stuff first, and then from there they look within that universe of how they're going to choose. So make that easy for them to find. And then finally, um, that last one there, or that second one, uh, location, uh, for those of you that are involved at the strategic level at the hospital, like you, because a lot of hospitals and health systems now are building ambulatory clinics into the community so they can get patients, they want to be where the patients are. And even in these days of telehealth, location really matters. So not just from a make it easy for people to find the website matters, but you know, from a much bigger perspective of where do you want to be, it's where the patients are. Great. And I'll just say on the the 35% of online ratings and reviews, and this is more in the ebook, but um, that has doubled since 2017, which is pretty significant uh, as well, just seeing that move up. The other one's pretty stable uh, as well. All right. So the next question that we ask um, is what platforms do you use to help uh, you choose a doctor? And so again, touching on that theme, hospital facility website so important uh, that you have and you're investing uh, your time and resources into your website. And I know many of you are from wanting to rank on certain procedures or certain conditions, and that's really good. Wanting to build tools uh, like book an appointment. Um, they're coming, they're looking at your directories and making sure that that experience is amazing. As a, your first party site, your hospital, your clinic site, definitely needs to be on par with third-party experiences. And I know in the last number of years, there's been a big effort in that uh, many of you on this call and many in the industry have been working towards that. And it doesn't just, it's never where you'll just arrive. It's always an investment. It's always looking and measuring and seeing what can we do better and what experiences are our consumers having elsewhere and how do we mimic that so they're familiar and it feels you know, comfortable and it's delightful to them on our own site. So that is pretty major. And I think that it's something that, um, that it, if I'm in your guys' shoes, I'm using that stat to get further investment into your own website. You can't emphasize that enough. Uh, also in, in looking at how are people responding to your portals and uh, once they log in, that authenticated experience, is that delightful? Is that doing a good job? Of course, Google is right there close behind. So from this perspective, and then on, on the, the rest of the review sites and social media sites, but making sure that it's reflective of your brand. And when you have, this goes a lot into content strategy. So not just the platforms that are used for, uh, to help people choose a doctor, but this goes a lot into the content plan and strategy that you have in terms of don't forget about the third-party sites. If there are new services, if there are new um, if there are questions that you can answer on those third-party sites and they give you that opportunity, make sure that you're updating those as well. I think that it's extremely important if you see and you're investing all these resources into your first-party site, which is important, but not neglecting those third-party because those are really um, close behind that 37% number. Stuart, 
I know we talked about this. What thoughts you have on this? Sure. Well, there's, first of all, um, what was intriguing, and when you see the data in the ebook, it goes even deeper. So this is stopped at Twitter, but there's a plethora <laughs> of websites that people have used to find a doctor. So it's not just these six, um, just for the sake of what's the most important of the top six here, but there's um, probably dozens, um, certainly a lot. So that's number one. Number two, it's again, a, a complex mix of, you know, owned, you know, you can own your website, you can earn social media points, pay to play. And there's a combination of all those things that matter, right? And so our agency, you know, Google up there is absolutely critical. And our agency does a lot with, um, you know, certainly organic and paid search and, you know, we do a lot of tons with paid social and uh, programmatic and um, web and visa partner. And we work, you know, we work all these different folks uh, every day and they're all important, right? So that's the first thing. Um, and just recognize there's a lot of them. And then um, a couple other quick insights on this. Number one is that uh, another question that was related to this in this act, the raw data showed that 70% of patients said that online reviews are influential in their decision about doctors, which is different, right? This is about finding them in the first place, but 73% said they matter. That's really important. So keep that in mind. So the, uh, the things that uh, Binary Fountain does or helps uh, do on the organic side really matter on that. Just another couple of quick commentaries too, uh, included in the data on this slide, um, I mentioned there were many different players. Um, other, others like Yelp and US News the whole report were there. And what's interesting about uh, Yelp is it seems to have a disproportionate share of attention for many uh, doctors for sure. And uh, maybe because it was one of the first. And um, you know, certainly a lot of people have told me they're not excited about the way Yelp handles reviews and they feel like it's being uh, difficult to uh, balance out the reviews they feedback. And for whatever reason, that happens a lot. A lot of people tell me about that. So the thing is, it's interesting is though Yelp is, seems to be decreasing in importance to consumers. It was less important. And I know a lot of um, hospitals and practices care a lot about Yelp, but it has decreased in importance. Uh, also, U.S. News will report is certainly important from a doctor-to-doctor -doctor standpoint. You know, hospitals are very proud of their uh, reviews. Uh, from the consumer point, it was on the map, but it wasn't, again, a critical factor. And uh, finally, maybe the last comment on this is uh, Facebook. Um, the death of, uh, uh, the announcement of the death of Facebook is premature. Uh, Facebook is a very powerful entity out there. And there's a uh, stereotype, even among marketers who probably should know better, just assume that, well, Facebook has just become moms and you know older mothers and grandmothers. And it's like, well, actually millennials are big Facebook users and Facebook is the one. And Facebook and then it's relative because it's on Instagram as well. That combination is really, really important. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons beyond the scope of this meeting, of this webinar. So they are all important. Um, and um, I think you really need to have strategies for each of these, um, uh, especially the major ones. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, good. There was a question that came in, and I just want to address it. There's two of them uh, related to the number of uh, participants in the poll. So this is, we worked with one poll, a uh, polling and survey organization, and they had reached out to a thousand individuals who had seen a physician and did a search for in the last year. Um, so there's a number of criteria that they go through to pre-qualify those. So just to answer that one. Um, and then someone made a comment, and I meant to say it, but Twitter was a surprise on here. And it was for me as well. I was really uh, like, wow, that's interesting. Why, 
why Twitter? And so there's some hypothesis that I have, not, I don't know, you know, the exact, um, the science of how are people actually using Twitter? But I do think that there is a little bit tied into that hospital and facility web um, brand and the website and really the facility and hospital brand that plays into it. I do think in, depending on the search, um, if you're searching for the branded term of a physician and provider name, oftentimes, depending on the specialty of that provider, they will show up in Twitter. So that's my only deduction. I was trying to piece that together, but really interesting. Um, and it may be questions, people asking if they do have, are active on Twitter, if they're asking their followers and their, you know, community online, you know, who do you use and who do you recommend, which would be, you know, somewhat of a family friend recommendation, but also community, but also going to Twitter. So just, that's my best guess, but thank you for pointing that out. It was a head scratcher for me too, because it's not like Twitter has a directory, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, it's hard when people are answering a survey of when they're using to find a doctor, if it's meaning that literally or it's being influenced is probably part of that. And the other thing too is um, the big, the big uh, social networks, right? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn are kind of like the big four that people are interacting with. And the usage, the use cases are very different. Obviously I'm involved in all those because it's my job for one <laughs> and I'm a consumer as well. But, you know, Facebook is a different environment than Instagram. Instagram is, of course, super visual and, you know, people use it in a certain way. And, um, uh, and obviously there's others too, right? Snapchat and uh, lots of different things going on right now. But the, um, Facebook is, you know, more, you know, it's more community feeling. Twitter, you know, can be either political or thought leadership. And, you know, LinkedIn is very different as well. So people use these all differently. And it's funny, a lot of people, for example, Twitter, um, um, they're not on Twitter. And so it's, it's hard to understand these platforms unless you use it. But I, it is a head scratcher, but I think it may have been more to interpret that they're being influenced. You know, we weren't there to talk to them. So, right. good point. All right. Um, next, in this next section is, uh, and that we asked, have to deal with communication with the provider, booking appointments, and top frustrations. So, questions around these topics. So, the first one is from a preferred method of receiving information from your provider. Uh, what was interesting is phone call is still at the top of the list. And we didn't go into detail about appointment reminders and health diagnosis and you know some of those sub things. It's just receiving information from your provider. And phone was still the primary and the, the highest, you know, rated the highest among uh, those that responded. Email close behind there, and then there's text messages. So there's, you know, obviously, there's a number of different tools that you employ, depending on what you're wanting to communicate, and to your current population, patient population, and then also to consumers. And so it's really having a plan, and I know most of you do, uh, of what you are communicating. Um, I think at a hospital and system level, this is really comes in, uh, and I know that there are discussions in many systems happening between the patient experience departments and the marketing as far as touch points and who's communicating what and how often are we communicating. I think those between a phone call and email and even text, you know, from the opt-in, opt-out, the details of that, very important to have a plan there. Um, but you're still not neglecting, you know, and we have a, a customer who used text messages to communicate to their customers about that they had a vaccine. It was a pediatric group that was announcing that they had a vaccine, a particular vaccine available um, for 
uh, pediatricians, I think it was MMR, like, this is, have you had your child, you know, vaccinated? And they uh, sent out a text message, and that was the way they communicated, and they had a pretty good response rate as far as appointments being made and their children receiving that vaccine. Um, so that, you know, interesting use case there. But, of course, you know, having these things, and there's more, there's, you know, in the survey, there are more options. Stuart, what was your take on this one? Yeah, very interesting in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, phone calls being number one, you know, from a system provider, if you've got a large multi-location practice or hospital health system, phone calls are expensive, quality control is hard, you gotta figure out all these logistics and figure out it costs money to have all these people. We'd love them to drive them to the website and just do it in there. However, it's healthcare and certainly healthcare has a disproportionate number of seniors who are very comfortable on the phone. So it's not surprising to me that phone calls are, number, are very, very important still. And that will change over time and become less and less important. But that's, you know, number one, it's going to be a while before that happens. Uh, a little bit of good news on that. In previous uh, webinars this year, I've talked about a lot about COVID and recovering from COVID. There's some evidence to show that patients not only, um, you know, prefer to receive information from phone calls, that you can use the phone to get people back in. So there's a lot of, even still today, of course, you know, with COVID, it's up and down daily at different, every, every market. If you know a hospital, you're in the market for that hospital, right? It's like there could be no COVID patients, it could be overwhelmed. But the fear of coming in for elective procedures is high. But what's interesting is patients have indicated that they are willing to come in if the um, hospital provider called them. So just keep that in mind. The phone is super powerful, and that, of course, requires logistics and training and time. But um, if you're struggling with your ancillary services or elective services, um, phone calls can help. Uh, it's often widely underestimated. I think email is, again, very different. In my experience, uh, at the hospital provider levels, both, uh, it's underutilized. Some hospitals are really, really good at it. They have databases. And they know what patients are interested in, and they model and do all kinds of things to get really relevant emails. Others, you know, don't have any patient email addresses, don't have figured out HIPAA, haven't figured out the most basic stuff and do nothing. So you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table if you don't have a really fully robust email program uh, thought through and implemented. Text is awesome for appointments. Um, you know, uh, we talk all the time about how it's, it's immediate and think about it. it's also intrusive. So you want to use text carefully, but clearly for things like appointments, that makes sense. And um, I, finally, the last point on this is the, you know, Aaron, talk, we talk a lot about the importance of social media, but the facility website, again, I think people, you know, um, may underestimate the importance of that. And it's, again, a big factor. And interestingly enough, Aaron, my last comment on this actually is, we didn't show it on this particular slide, but um, if you go to, even to the deeper source data, direct mail was right behind social media. So nobody likes direct mail and if you're, you know, haven't been around very long in marketing. It's like, oh, direct mail, what's that? <laughs> a lot of people still like old-fashioned, expensive, you know, hard-to-scale direct mail, but it, it, there's even a place for that. Yeah, it's been a while since I've received a direct mail from my provider, but uh, <laughs> I'll be looking for... for. <laughs> you, you know what's funny about that, Aaron? I, I got to say, since you brought that up, I'm the CEO of a company, and you, you know, I'm on all kinds of lists. You would think I get you know, direct mail every day. I get direct mail exceedingly rarely. You know, it's like, that's why it still works because it's so intrusive. It's so inexpensive um, uh, by, to go directly at me. Whereas I get hundreds of emails a day, hundreds. 
And uh, nobody talks to me, thank you very much. They all go through my assistant. I won't take a call or a meeting or anything without going through my assistant without an email introduction. It just doesn't happen. I don't pick up. But, you know, this direct mail comes in. It's like so uncommon. I'll look at it. Yeah, this right. Yeah, I had a, a, a colleague or a friend in another health system said that her CEO came up to her and handed her a little postcard, and it was about a conference, and said, you should check out this conference. <laughs> and that was last yeah, year. Exactly. And it was yeah, kind of interesting because, you know, the direct mail. times there, and we do a seminar a couple times a year in Las Vegas, and um, we invite hospitals and providers to come to that. And uh, for all the internet, for all the speaking, for all the, you know, emails and subscribers, 80% come from the direct mail. It's just bizarre. That's wild. Yeah. So still, still has a place. Um, all right. Going to the next one, we asked individuals, where uh, do you – where are you booking the appointments? And here comes phone call, number one again. And I think part of this is, you know, the online booking appointment, whether the providers have one or they don't, um, often when they do have one, users seem to feel like it's, um, and patients, consumers feel like it's inflexible, and they might be able to get something, a better appointment, you know, or more somebody to work with them. Um, when calling. And so I think as we see the maturation and the advancement of online booking tools um, become better, and I think each year I'm seeing improvements um, where there is more flexibility and options that we'll see phone calls drop. This has dropped the last four years. So I think there's a little bit of that happening. Um, again, emphasizing the facility website, your tools that you have available. Um, I would say you know, there's a great opportunity there. Whether you're using a third-party tool and it's integrated into your own branded site, you definitely want that traffic. Um, you don't want to leave the booking of your appointments from the consumer to the third-party sites. It's, you know, if it's working for you and that's a channel, that's great, but you definitely want to be able to facilitate that in the most efficient manner on your own site. So, again, really interesting here from, you know, booking an in-person appointment. Uh, being a phone call still. Yep. So I would just add to that. Um, it's interesting because that surprises me. It's um, <clears throat> clearly, you know, the, the, uh, the data shows that the older the patient is, the more likely they are to really like the phone call. And that's broken down in some of the data. But you keep in mind, don't stereotype. Like, you know, so for example, for me, I'm sort of in the middle-ish <laughs> there. But I... To me, to get the idea of getting on a phone to book an appointment drives me insane. Like, I just don't want to do it. And I'm busy. And uh, I remember once with my optometrist, I tried to, I emailed them and said, okay, you don't have book online. Can you please just, here's your dates. Can you please give me one? I'll book that way. And they called, emailed me back saying, can you please just call us? And my answer was like, no. <laughs> so people, those that want to be able to book online, really want to book online. I'm busy. I don't even think about this stuff until after hours. I never think about booking appointments during the day. And so I, I think that even though phone calls are important, I would really strongly urge you to think about making that facility website as patient-friendly, embrace online scheduling, make it easy for the patient because this will change. If you look at the, some of the other data that's changed predictably, you know, the influence of social media and rating sites, this one I think is going to change over the next few years. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk about yeah. this in a couple Right. Days. All right. We'll have to measure yeah, results. Yeah. All right, the next question we asked was, how do you usually book telehealth appointments? So obviously this year, with telehealth getting a lot of coverage and people utilizing it a lot more, uh, thought we would ask. And so phone call 
still atop of the list there. Not as many as an in-person um, facility website and the patient uh, insurance portal uh, being 11%. So uh, again, you know, a lot of what we talked about in the previous slide and the points apply to this one as well. But I did think it was interesting just in terms of, um, you know, that patient insurance portal. I think insurance have been pushing uh, telehealth appointments a lot more. So no, no surprise that it's there uh, on the list and a little higher. But Stuart, anything on telehealth yeah, appointments? I think on this one, it might be a lot of those phone calls might have been uninitiated um, to telehealth people that were calling for a COVID appointment and switched. Because it is ironic. Sure. I mean, telehealth and then you want to go make a phone call to get to telehealth but i think it's again as consumers get more educated more comfortable with telehealth that number is going to explode um it's absolutely predictable so yeah we'll see more of that yeah all right and then the next one uh, the biggest frustration when booking an appointment online um this is kind of all over the map and you see similar uh, percentages but incorrect and missing contact information being number one, services not listed, number two, uh, and then not enough physician information, number three. I think, you know, is there's been initiatives of, you know, beefing up the provider profile and bio. Um, I'm really happy that that's just not enough information on uh, the physician is not number one. So that means you guys are doing a lot of great work of profiling your physicians. Still more work to do there, but, you know, there, I've, you know, number of health systems investing in video and interviewing the physicians and content. It seems like that can never be enough for consumers and very important to, for them to have information to choose their physician. But then the incorrect missing contact information, I think a lot of this has to do with whether it's phone calls or directions, some of those things that challenges that come up with listings management um, here. Um, it may be you know, where they're practicing and what offices they're going to be at. So investing in that, that's a first party platform problem. And you've managed data, physician data know this. <laughs> that's a first party and a third party um, issue, especially at the health system where you're dealing with affiliates and employed docs and, you know, all of that data you have to manage really, really tough. Um, I thought it was interesting the no, not enough reviews being 10% at the same level is incorrect hours and no insurance information. So that's another one that kind of is within the theme of, you know, reading the nine reviews before choosing a doctor kind of within that same theme. Stuart, any, any insights on this one? The comment broadly is, you know, people have higher expectations of healthcare today than they ever have. They used to build up with just about anything. It's my doctor's office shrug. It's not the case anymore. So anything that frustrates a patient is bad. Fix it. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> Right. Oh, that's simple enough. <laughs> All right, in the next section, you know, leaving reviews, where and why. So where are consumers leaving reviews? So going to the first one, you know, um, when, what are they saying in these reviews? You know, some of the most frustrating aspects, and we asked them, what are the most frustrating factors when visiting a doctor? Wait time, no surprise. We are in America. We want things fast. We want it now. We don't want to wait. We don't have time to wait. Um, so 32% leading the charge by far margin than over cost, uh, exam results, scheduling the appointment. So that wait time, it was, you know, interesting just in, in terms of, you know, um, the expectations that we have for being seen. And this could vary. We didn't go into detail about, is it, you know, between zero minutes and 10, 10 and 20? This is just wait time becomes the most frustrating factor 
uh, when dealing. So important, you know, there are, and I know this is all, has been um, an issue that health systems and phys physicians have tried to solve and provide. <laughs> they started early on with providing magazines, right? And these old outdated copies. Luckily, we have these, you know, phones now that we can kind of pass time on, but, you know, still a frustration point. Yeah, and I would just add to that, Aaron, the wait time data, if you look back to 2017, has actually improved. So it's still the frustration, I don't know what the number was, but it was something like closer to 50%. And so with that, I think the insight there is that some hospitals, health systems, and doctors have figured this out. This is important and are looking from a patient experience, consumer point of view, and figuring out how they can build a system around the patient's need versus building a system around their own needs. <laughs> Very different way of thinking. And so the major point here is this is a frustration. So I, this to me is a big red sign saying opportunity because if you can resolve this uh, big, big frustration, it's a competitive advantage. So if you wanna be more in tune with what consumers want today, clearly a lot of them just presume they're gonna to have to wait. It's like they've never experienced it. So when you pleasantly surprise them that they don't have weights, they'll remember it, they'll comment on it. It's a huge opportunity for a way, um, instead of, you know, buying a new wing for the hospital, something simple like wait time can really help. Yeah, and, you know, there's uh, earlier when I'm mentioning, you know, that 85% of consumers find online physician reviews reliable. Some of these frustrations and themes may show up in your reviews. So, you know, looking at, this may not be for everybody. You may have wait time dialed down, but there are some other frustrations that are revealed in the comments and or in patient surveys. So important for you to do your own and have your own KPIs around this. This was just from the thousand that were surveyed. Just, yeah, and just quick, because I know we're running we've yeah. got close on time, but, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I talked to the people over at Cleveland Clinic. And this wait time is undefined, right? It could be wait time to get in. It could be wait time to once you get in on the phone, or there's a lot of different ways to have wait time. But they have a hospital or system-wide initiative, same-day appointments are available. And that's just an amazing thing. But that, again, is that consumer mindset of getting patients in across the board. And it's a long story. If you're interested, send me an email. I'll give you the uh, link to the podcast. But just to think about a system like Cleveland Clinic making same-day appointments. Same-day appointments available is amazing. But that's that consumer mindset, again. It's a competitive advantage. Absolutely. All right, the next one... Um, was factors when rating or evaluating a doctor. And so these were, you know, when, when looking at what was most important from a standpoint of what's important to you for your doctor and what are you evaluating them on? Friendly and caring attitude, number one, that has stuck there. Uh, and then thoroughness of exam. So that real, that human connection. We are humans. We want to connect. We want to feel felt uh, cared for. Uh, that's still number one. And um, so important to share this with your physicians. They, they know this, I'm sure, but it's a good reminder just to have this. Uh, maybe not just like, hey, uh, Dr. Smith, friendly and caring attitude is important. You know, fix your attitude. Nothing like that. But, you know, in sharing some of these results, I think that it makes, you know, a little kindness and you know, all the patient experience initiatives you are probably have in place and are pursuing. Uh, that friendly and caring attitude definitely pays off. And quickly here, the soft stuff really matters to both men and women, a little bit more towards women. Um, um, the guys on, that responded to this uh, favored just a little, by a little bit higher percentage on like things like thoroughness of examination and reputation provider, which didn't make the cut on the slide here. Uh, but soft stuff matters to everybody and the communication human stuff. This is becoming an increase in awareness. Um, um, interestingly, 
um, the um, as the uh, uh, I think that the we looked at the data from the demographic side. Older patients cared even more about the soft stuff than the younger folks. So it's just it it's, it matters. Yeah. Period. All right. And then the last question we're sharing here on the um, webinar is what online platforms did you use to share your patient experience? So nearly in the survey, 82% of consumers said that they had shared some healthcare experience online. That could have been to their own Facebook friends. It could have been in a review. Uh, could have been on Twitter, you know, Instagram. Um, but here's the breakdown. So the 18 to 23-year-olds shared on Twitter Instagram and WebMD, which was interesting, and also the 40 to 55-year-old demographic shared on WebMD as well. You kind of see Twitter being the first two age demographics, um, and then the last one, you know, Facebook, the 56-plus, uh, was kind of the exclusive. That was the highest. I mean, there was they also shared on some other platforms, but that, those, that was the highest um, number and percentage that had shared an experience online. So really important just to understand where your patients are sharing and being there, monitoring it, making sure that you have a presence there. Stuart, was there any surprise here? Yeah. You know, not really. And what's interesting is I alluded to earlier the importance of Facebook. And again, the death of Facebook being greatly diminished. Uh, These numbers kind of break down with um, Gen Z there at the bottom, or the youngest rather, uh, millennials 24 to 39, uh, Gen X 40 to 55, and baby boomers. And so if you look at it that way, um, not surprising to me at all that, again, Facebook, everybody's talking about the death of Facebook. Well, yeah, Gen Z hasn't embraced it as much, right? Because they were really young when their parents were on Facebook, so they never got there. They really focused on Instagram as like number one there. But everybody else is on Facebook a lot, so Facebook matters. And for our clients, we're promoting with paid social. Facebook and uh, Instagram are at the heart of it both, because they're all very, very important. Obviously, Google's important too. That's a huge one across the board. Um, so those, it really matters. This, I love this slide because it's such an easy encapsulation. We're talking over line, uh, offline about how much we don't like this particular slide just because it encapsulates so much. Um, I think I'll uh, borrow this slide for some of my own presentations, you guys. It's a really easy way to communicate uh, something. It's relatively easy, but people get lost. They really feel they forget how important these are and they make a lot of assumptions that are, are not necessarily accurate. Yeah, good point. So going in to Q&A session, we have one that's related to these online platforms. Um, you know, uh, someone's saying they would love to see the national stats on Yelp. And um, with, you know, there are, um, so I would agree that it's falling off in importance, um, but there's you know, some individuals that still love Yelp. And I think that it is a market by market and looking at you know, some markets are very, have a lot more activity in Yelp. And so you can't dismiss it and just like, it's not important, maybe on a national scale, but locally, if you're in Austin and you're in some of the Southern states or where Yelp had a foothold early on, where there's a lot of users and a lot of um, utilization, you can't ignore Yelp. And so, you know, that is a location by location decision. So you can't dismiss them all you know, this is just was a national survey. So um, we'll look to see and then maybe include, uh, try to get some of that data to share more in the future on platform specific and, and demographics or geographics, I should say, areas. Um, yeah, I just added that. It's like, it also depends on the specialty. If, if the more consumer direct, the more people would think to use Yelp. Yeah. Uh, you know, like dentists or something like that is probably more Yelp um, specific. Um, so that's on a, 
again, it is a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, so related to this one, Yelp, there's a question. This would be for you, Stuart. Um, Yelp has been uh, pressing for them to invest in an advertising package for a group of pediatric offices. Um, you know, are you, what would you recommend there? Do you, is it worth putting it in or is it a location by location basis? It's, you know, it's really hard to say always on this kind of a format because it depends, right, on what, how are you investing. So I always look at, uh, we kind of refer to the investment pyramid similar to the, or the investment pyramid for financial planning, right? So you want to make sure at the very beginning level, you at least cover, you know, you have cash and then you get some mutual funds and eventually stocks and then artworks at the top. You can take a risk there on a smaller amount. So assuming you have a broad uh, mix, it's funny, Yelp has been such a mixed bag. Um, and it's really hard to separate the emotion of people dealing with Yelp from the business side of it, but Yelp can work. And so if I have the other bases covered, I would look at it as a test, right? You can uh, test things. That's the beautiful thing about marketing is, you know, you try it for a year, uh, see how it works, and then if it's successful, you do. Keep in mind with Yelp too, when you buy, when you buy into Yelp, you're buying into their rules. They have, um, almost a religion and the rules that, you know, what you can do and can't do. So uh, keep that in mind as well. But assuming you have a budget, um, it could be a test. Pediatrics is when I mentioned the consumer directness of it, um, you know, it, it could be worthwhile. But I would track it and look at ROI. Yeah, definitely. Good. Um, question, is Google still considering suppressing star ratings on Docker reviews? And so this is related to first-party sites and transparency. So our um, customer that have been utilizing transparency last year had a blip in that and it seemed like some were uh, D, you know, were not showing up. And I'm talking about the rich snippet and the star ratings that was under a physician's name. Um, some of those disappeared, some of them stayed. We're seeing a lot of those come back. And so, you know, you have to evaluate, make sure that you're abiding by the rules that Google provides in their content guidelines and their rich snippet um, guidelines, but we're seeing a lot more of those come back. So good question. Yeah, you're, you know, you're closer to that than I am, uh, yeah. Aaron, obviously, so that's what you guys do every day. But the, um, uh, remember I mentioned earlier, consumer loves re consumers love reviews, Google loves reviews. Yeah, definitely. That's an overriding theme. Uh, they tend to favor, you know, responses to reviews, lots of reviews. So uh, I don't, make those decisions for them. That's an interesting uh, observation. Um, I had a suggestion for managing negative reviews, online reviews. We have a number of resources on binaryfountain.com, um, eBooks, and also a number of blogs. So I won't go into a lot of detail there, but my overall, let's uh, make sure that you're responding to all reviews as much as you can. Some reviews you don't want to respond to. That's a tickler to look at some of our content on Binary Fountain. Uh, question for you. Um, Stuart, the data supports the need for omni-channel messaging strategy to ensure patients are receiving communications via their preferred channel, not the hospital's preferred channel. So what do you say in that regard with the omni-channel you know, messaging? Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, we often talk internally about the challenges of being in the hospital marketing department, right? It depends. Like some hospitals, um, uh, marketing is esteemed, it's a, it has a seat at the strategic table, it's critical, and other hospitals, nobody understands it, nobody values it, it can be really, really frustrating in a world where the doctors are in charge and the marketing person is um, just not understood. So I would say in those cases, uh, whether it's, you know, you have to deal with doctors or, or uh, CEOs that aren't really understanding the marketing is, data is the one thing that seems to work, right? It's like this presentation in particular, um, I think was really great for that. 
Uh, I have found in working with you know hospitals, uh, CEOs, with boardrooms, and with uh, doctors, and, you know, executives, and everybody else, it's like that. That's it's really the tiebreaker, at least a lot of times, because otherwise, if it's subjective, their opinion matters more than yours. Sorry, but it does. So at Google, they have a joke. It's like you know, in godly trust, everybody else bring data, and that's kind of like what. Uh, I would say here is like, you know, bring data to the extent that you can um, recognize that, you know, this may be a long-term battle internally um, start taking it, you know, and then think about the 80, 20 rule. So when we talk about, you know, there's 25 different websites to consider, all right, well, let's look at the 80, 20 rule, which ones are the most important, which ones are the most relevant. So, okay, we gave you a lot of data here. And like, so for example, on some of those slides, Twitter is really, you know, high to high numbers, but is it really impacting um, patient decisions as much, probably not as much as like Google and Facebook. So I would really think through like where can we start, but it is tough. I totally feel, feel your pain in the hospital marketing department. They really, it's just so political and it's oftentimes marketing is not understood, but data will help. Presentations like this should help you. And then, um, and if you have more details or questions, that email me, I'll try to help because, you know, <laughs> that's, that can be complicated. Yeah, definitely. Great, great response there. Um, I had a question on how do you recommend generating reviews, um, third-party Google reviews for hospitals? So that's a difference between, you know, um, providers because it's a little easier to reach out and do some um, outreach via to providers specifically. Some of our clients have had a lot of success in doing uh, emails and asking patients to share their experience at the hospital level online and um, had a number of uh, response and saw their response on our platform. We're like, whoa, what happened? And they had just run a campaign and they had generated a lot of reviews. So some more on that. We'd love to follow up and, and brainstorm with you, James, on that one. But um, let's let's talk for sure. Um, I, we have more questions, but we are out of time. Uh, but we're going to follow up with those outstanding questions. Um, Stuart and I will tag team on those and get back to you. But thank you so much for joining us. We are going to be sending this out, the recording out to uh, all of you who've joined and to all the registrants, uh, along with a link to the survey results. So we are um, really thrilled that you joined. Let us know if you have any questions on the results or on the survey. Stuart, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, thank you everybody.